what I believe God wanted the church to be like. And one of the things that, um, that I remember from that vision, if you will, that I wrote out was that the church, as we gathered together, would be filled with the sounds of conversation and laughter. And uh, I think we got that. I think we got that. I think that's one thing we do really well is conversation and laughter, and that's a good thing, I think. The world needs more laughter, amen? All right. I, 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 believe, that, I believe that every one of us wants to live in peace. Is that like part of what you want, to live in peace? Just a peace, man. I hear that all the time. I hear that all the time, of course, when I'm talking and counseling with people. They tell me, I just want to live in peace. I just want to live in peace. And you can call it what you want. You can call it what you want, peace, tranquility. Here's a word we've heard a lot, serenity. We want to be at rest. We just want our souls to be at rest. We want to live in peace. We want to live in peace with God. We want to live in peace uh, despite our circumstances. We want to, to know that everything's going to be okay. We want to live in peace with other people, don't we? I don't know about you, though. I find that peace is hard to get and peace is hard to keep. Um, we know that Jesus has promised his followers peace. We talked about this last week. It's part of our spiritual inheritance in Christ. We are promised his peace, a peace that would transcend all understanding. But even for those of us who uh, truly believe in Christ, truly have put our faith and trust in him and have even walked with him for a number of years, we find that peace is so hard to experience. Uh, we, we seem to miss out often on its reality. Maybe it's because we give our peace away or we let something steal our peace. It, it just as we let, you know, people steal our cars, you know what I'm saying? We just kind of keep it unlocked and they take it and that kind of, you know, Colossians 3.15, this is the verse we're focused on. We were focused on it last week. We're going to focus on it again this morning for, for a little bit. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Last week we talked about this passage of Scripture. We talked about the peace of Christ and what it means to our lives. And, and if you remember, uh, I, I tried to get across to you this idea that the peace of Christ is supposed to act as a kind of umpire over our lives. It's supposed to kind of be the umpire calling the shots when our emotions get all riled up. It's supposed to be the umpire that uh, control, helps us uh, maintain control over our thought life, over our emotional well-being. It's the peace of Christ that's supposed to rule over our hearts, rule over our decision-making, the choices we make, the way we react to situations. The peace of Christ is supposed to umpire our reactions to the situations we find ourselves in. And the Bible is clear that God has given us the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ is a gift to us, and we should allow the Prince of Peace to rule over our hearts and our minds. We talked about that last week. Now, a couple things we talked about uh, in particular uh, is that the peace of Christ means that we, are, uh, we should have peace with God. The peace of Christ means that we have peace with God. Uh, if you want to get the message from last week, you can get it and get into more detail on it, if you will, but... Let me just remind you what that means. Peace with God uh, is, is a gift to us. As we sur when we surrender to Christ as our Savior, the Bible makes it clear that our rebellion against God is over. Because of Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross, 
He no longer looks at us as, as His enemies if we put our trust in Christ. Instead, God makes us part of His family. We become His sons and His daughters. No longer are we in rebellion against Him, but through Christ we are brought into His household, made members of His family, uh, His sons, His daughters. And this, this peace that Christ offers us brings us a whole new relationship with God. We no longer have to live in fear of God anymore. His perfect love casts out all that fear, right? Fear has to do with punishment. Punishment, right? We don't face punishment anymore. Christ took the punishment for us. So we have this brand new relationship with God. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live with the old guilt or shame anymore. That's in our past. That's not part of who we are anymore. And when the devil wants to bring that old stuff up, all you got to do is say, well, well, peace of Christ says. The peace of Christ. Oh, I don't have to listen to that, man. Christ has, has given me peace with God. I don't have to, those, those are old accusations. I've already been declared innocent of those things. Right? We can live with the peace of Christ. The devil can't get, now if you want to let the devil in your head and steal your peace, you let him if you want to. I'm just saying that's a mistake. You let the peace of Christ control your thought life in that regard. Okay? We talked about, secondly, another impact the peace of Christ has on our lives is that it guards our hearts in troubled times. The peace of Christ guards, anybody see a little trouble this week? Have, have a, a problem come your way unexpected and you're like, oh, get all stressed out about it? Oh, no, 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 wait a minute. You don't have to let stress steal your peace. You don't have to let that situation steal your serenity, right? We have the peace of Christ. Jesus, as a matter of fact, promised that we would see trouble in this life. That's one of the promises we don't like to quote very much. But it's one of the promises he's given to us. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but don't worry about it because I've already overcome it. See, here's the reality. We have the peace of Christ because we know that Jesus is Lord over all. He is completely sovereign. And every trouble or struggle that we face hasn't caught him by surprise. As a matter of fact, Jesus is going to use that problem or that struggle to conform us to his character. He's going to use it for our good and his glory doesn't matter what the trouble is. We may not like it, and I don't know many people that like trouble, but when it comes, it's going to be okay in the long run because God's going to take this thing, and what the devil has intended to use against you for evil, God's going to use it for your good Amen. and his glory. And many of us are testimonies to that. We've been in some pretty bad messes before. Sometimes it was because of things we had done, but often it was because of what other people around us had done. We found ourselves in a lot of trouble, but now that we look back at it, we say, well, wait a minute, God was just setting me up for victory. God was setting me up for freedom. How have you realized that that little bit of time you spent in jail actually did some good? You thought at the time, this is the worst place to be, but it was there God captured your heart again. Right? Amen. Amen. I know, I know I've talked to enough of you. I know. I've got some of those stories, too. My stories don't have anything to do with a jail cell. It might have to do with a hospital waiting room. But we all got stories to tell. Trouble that we were in, but somehow God used that thing and turned it around, and now he is using us to bring peace and freedom to others. God's good, man. All the time. Oh, you missed it. God is good. Okay, here we go. All right. So what do we do when we find ourselves in trouble? We let the peace of Christ umpire our uh, rule over our emotions and our thought life. Here's what we do. We don't panic. We pray. Amen. We don't panic. We pray. And we look to Christ who has promised to give us his peace. And as we focus on him, he guarantees that he will give us emotional stability and the wisdom to get through 
the situations that we face, okay? There's a third area of life I want to talk about this morning. I think it has a lot of uh, application to us today, especially as we get into talking about uh, the business of Christian Life Fellowship and, the, and the, the mission that we've been given, the purpose we've been given, and how God intends to carry that out. There's a, there's a third area of life that we didn't talk about last week. I want to talk about it today for just a few minutes. And it really is the point of this verse in Colossians. This is really what Paul is talking about when he talks about the peace of Christ ruling in your hearts. He then goes on to say, since as members of one body you were called to peace. He is telling us that the peace of Christ is to rule over us as we interact with one another. Get it? Okay? The peace of Christ is to rule in our hearts as we relate to one another. Oh my goodness. How many conflicts did you face with other people in your life this week? Co-workers, students, peers, spouses. Maybe it was within the church membership here. Maybe you had a conflict with a, with a, with a church member here about something. I guarantee you put two people in the same room, it won't take them long to find something to disagree about. I mean, you know, what do they say? Opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. And most people feel free to share their opinion, no matter how... I started to say stupid, but that wouldn't be quite right. Come on. <laughs> okay. Look, the peace of Christ is God's gift to us. It's to umpire our emotions and our, our reactions. It's supposed to affect the relationships we have with one another. As believers, we are called, and I'm going to abbreviate this a lot. There's a whole lot more to say about it. I can't give you all the details, of course. There's so much in the Word about it. But as believers, we are called to live at peace with one another. We are called to live at, in peace with one another. And it's really easy to do when everyone's following the same rules, working off the same page, isn't it? If everybody under your roof is working off the same page, following the house rules, it works pretty good. But then there's always that one. That one. I mean, every group of people has that one. Every class I teach, I have six different classes. Every class has that one. So, does that work in public school too? Oh, sometimes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but usually it takes that one to stir it up from the others, right? To get the, I, I guarantee you, in your office setting, there is that one. MSP ladies, there is that one. I bet you, unless you live all by yourself at home, there is that one under your roof. You get a group of people together. I'm, I, is that not true? Absolutely true. That, now, in the house of God, if you are a son or a daughter of God, in the household of God, there are certain house rules that he has placed before us, and we are supposed to relate to one another following the house rules that God has given. And if you want to look at a summary of those rules and what they look like, you could go 
up a few verses in, the, in, the, in Colossians chapter 3 and see what those things are. Colossians 3, uh, 5 through 14 kind of lay out, if you will, a framework of rules in which we are to, uh, which we're to follow if we're going to live together in peace and unity and harmony as God designed us to. Uh, he talks about there being no sexual immorality, no lust, no impurity in, in, in our thought life, no anger, no rage, no filthy language, no lying. Uh, some of the house rules are positive in nature. They're, these house rules say that we are to be kind to one another, that we are to be compassionate, we are to be humble and gentle, we are to be forgiving, and we are to love one another. Those are the house rules we're supposed to follow, but there's always that one. one. That one who just will not live by the rules. They just won't, for whatever reason. There's just this little thing in them. they got to see if they can find the loophole. Looking for the loophole. <laughs> yes, and Jennifer's paying me a big salary to, to teach this today. <laughs> no. There's always that one. There's all, always, in every group, I'm telling you, in every group of people I've ever been around, and it's, it's not just something that we in our situation in this church, uh, struggle with at times. It's, it's every home, every church, every company, every classroom. It's just the way it is, guys. It's just the way it is. There's going to be one or two that just will not comply, that are trying to work off their own page rather than the group's page, if you will. They want to follow, they want to do what they want to do in spite of what they know they should be doing, and it creates chaos and conflict. Can I get an amen, right? Amen. amen. So what do we need to do? What should we do in order to let the peace of Christ rule in our relationships with one another? Number one, don't be that one. You want to get along with other people? You want for peace to exist between you and the other people in your life? Don't be that one. Don't be that one. James chapter 4, and boy, this is a passage of Scripture we could stretch out and preach a series on all by itself. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. I hope it impacts you. I hope it just, ooh, it feels good. James chapter 4 says this, using the Message Bible. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking what you have no right to. Now, James is speaking to the household of God. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to people like you and me, right? You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. See, that's the source of conflict. We always want, when we're, when we're facing conflict with other people, we always want to blame the other person, don't we? Well, you know what we need to do first? Stop. Wait a minute. Am I the one? Am I the one? What's going on inside of me making me want my way? What is it inside of my heart that I think this person can give me 
And you know what the problem is sometimes? It's an unrealistic expectation from that person, isn't it? We want something for them they, have, they, they can't give us. What is it going on inside of me that has brought me to this place of conflict? It's not about them. What is it about me? What's going on inside of me that keeps me button heads with this person? Is it my own selfishness that's disrupting the, the unity and the harmony in this relationship? Am I selfishly demanding my own way without regard for their needs? Am I trying to get from people what only God can give me? Purpose, security, self-worth. Is there something in my own heart that keeps me in a state of conflict with other people? I'm telling you, if you find yourself again and again and again coming in conflict, in conflict unable to live in peace with the people around you, truth alert, it's probably not them, it's probably you. Don't be that one. There's something in you that God needs to fix. A broken part of you that's still broken. You don't turn to people and hope that they'll fix you. They can't fix you. There's only one who can fix your broken heart and the brokenness of your life. There's only one that can give you the peace you're looking for, and that's Christ. You let Him fix you. You become the person you want them to be. You hear me? You become the person you want them to be. Let the peace of Christ rule and reign in your own heart. God will take care of them. God will take care of them too. So first, don't be that one. If you, wanna, if you want the peace of Christ to rule in your relationships with other people, don't be that one. Second, if you find yourself in conflict with somebody, can I just lay out a simple process that might help you come to a resolution of the conflict? You see, instead of escalating the conflict like we often do, instead we are to settle the conflict. We are to take action to bring a resolution to the conflict, a successful res resolution. Matthew 5.9 says this, and I wish we as believers would memorize this verse and then live it out every moment of our life. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers, the peacemakers. That means there is a conflict going on, but we step into the picture, and with the help of God, we bring that conflict to a resolution. That's one way we represent the Lord well in the world that we live in, by being peacemakers. Peacekeepers sometimes act like doormats, and sometimes peacemakers have to stand up and take a, a firm stand and speak truth, okay? There's a difference, and that's another sermon altogether, another series, another book that I could point you to to read. But we are called to be peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. As a peacemaker, we should avoid making conflict worse by stewing over it. A peacekeeper will sometimes stew over it. A pe I, I just don't want conflict. Sometimes conflict's necessary in order to get it resolved. But peacekeepers instead will just, mm, I'll just sit here and bear it. I won't say anything about it. I'm just going to sit here and think about it every waking moment of my life. <laughs> and then like the Hulk, boom! 
you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know? And it explodes, and before we know it, it's all worse. Don't stew over it. Don't make conflict worse by stewing over it. Don't make it worse by talking about it. And don't make it worse by bringing other people into it. Instead, as the children of God called to be peacemakers, we need to find a way to bring conflict to a successful resolution. Let me just lay out seven steps real quick. We're going to go right through this and then change directions here. First, pray. If you find yourself in a conflict with somebody, don't sit there and stew over it. Don't just talk about it. Don't whine about it. Don't bring other people into it. Instead, go to the Lord and pray. Bring the Prince of Peace into the scenario with you. Bring the wisdom of God into the scenario with you. Pray. Bring Jesus into the middle of this issue. I guarantee you he's got more wisdom than you, can, than you have. And if anybody can fix it, Jesus can fix it because there's nothing impossible with him. Second, define the conflict in your mind. Define that conflict. What is it that keeps me banging heads with this person? What is it? What is the problem here? What's the real issue? See, you shouldn't do anything else until you understand the nature of the conflict. Sometimes we jump into the middle of a conversation with somebody trying to resolve an issue, and we don't even really know what it's about. We just know for some reason we don't get along. We, we don't define the problem. We don't know what the problem is. We just know we don't like each other. We'll define that conflict. And that way you can avoid making, making that conflict more personal and more angry and get distracted by dwelling on the past hurts that might have accumulated over the years from this relationship. So make sure in your mind you know what this conflict is. Where is the conflict? The conflict is, man, I mean, be, be specific. You just don't wash the dishes like you're supposed to when it's your time. And here's what we, you never wash the dishes. Well, that's probably not true. They probably did wash them. May have been just once or twice. But you know what I'm saying? Define the problem. Clarify it in your mind. Then third, plan a, plan a time to discuss it. Plan a time to discuss it. Try to schedule a conversation to talk about it when you're both rested and more likely to respond in love to one another. Wives, the worst possible time to try to address a conflict with your husband is when he has just come home from work. <laughs> Husbands, the worst possible time to try to address a conflict with your wife is when she has spent all night trying to take care of a sick baby. And all she wants to do is tell you, you should have gotten up and helped me last night. That's the conflict. You know, but don't scream. Anyway, you understand what I'm saying. Make sure your minds are both clear, you're relatively at peace, and you both know that you care about each other before you try to address a conflict. Fourth, affirm that relationship. Let me tell you something. You don't really ever have a conflict with people you don't like. You know what I'm saying? You really don't. Or, or people that you never come in contact, or people that you can avoid, let's put it that way. You never have a conflict with people you can avoid, right? There's something about the rhythms of your life that bring you together, and thus the conflict. And usually it's, off, it's often because you really care about that person, or you've married that person, or you're friends with that person, or you share a, a, a church with that person. 
But affirm that relationship. Let the other person know that they matter to you. And that's why you're talking to them, because you want to seek a, a, a resolution to this conflict. I really love you. I really care about you. I really want our friendship to work. I really want us to continue to worship the Lord together. I don't want there to be anything in my heart that prevents me from entering the presence of the Lord when we gather for worship. Affirm the relationship. For, uh, fifth, listen carefully to the other person. Stephen Covey says this. He said, most people don't listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. We ought to learn to listen to the other person. What are they feeling? What are they seeing? Number six, forgive and accept forgiveness. Forgive and accept forgiveness. Promise each other that you're going to let it go, that you're no longer going to hold it against each other, or you're ever going to bring it up again. Just forgive. Really forgive. And that's another whole series of sermons. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying, I'm laying that out there for you, okay? And, and finally, seven, offer a solution. Look, that relationship is more important than the problem. The relationship you have with that person is always more important than the problem you're facing. Philippians 2, 4, and 5 says this, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, and your attitude should be the same as of Jesus Christ. Seek solutions that keep everyone's best interests in mind. And let, let me say this, and I wish John were here. John's not feeling well today, but I wanted to get a good amen from John when I said this. Write this down. I want you to write this down. Because we live in a world that does not understand conflict, does not understand um, how to successfully resolve issues or problems that exist between people. We'd rather scream at each other and go our separate ways than we would to work it out and bring things to a success, successful conclusion. Listen to me. This, write this sentence down. Reconciliation should always be the goal. Reconciliation should always be the goal of conflict. <laughs> Man, after all, that's why Jesus came, to reconcile us to the Lord. That's, that's what it's all about. Reconciliation should... Now, is that always possible? It takes two to tango, okay? And sometimes it won't work. But reconciliation should always be the goal in any kind of uh, attempt to, to resolve an issue. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, make every effort. That's an important phrase. When, when, when uh, the Bible writers use that phrase, that's something we need to take note of. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Make every effort. Sometimes it's... It seems easier to us to throw the relationship away and walk away from it. But that's not what we're called to do. That's not what we're called to do. We are called to make every effort to live in peace with everyone, particularly those who are within the body. All right? Psalm 133.1 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? When everybody under one roof is walking, working off that same page, where there is real peace and unity, isn't that a beautiful thing? We don't experience it very much. <laughs> but boy, it's good when we do. And you know what else? I think it also reflects well to the world around us. This world that is so divided and divisive, 
when the body of Christ, the family of God, walks together in unity and harmony and peace, I think it speaks volumes to the world that we live in. Make every effort. Make every effort. I want to change gears. I want to talk about 2016, but the reason I wanted to finish that message up was because I guarantee you, <laughs> I promise you. You see, one of the things that we enjoy right now, probably more than we ever have in the nearly 15 years that we have existed as a fellowship, the one thing we enjoy right now more than we have ever enjoyed before is peace and unity. And I appreciate it. And I pray for it, and I fight for it, and I make every effort to, to, to keep it and maintain it. But I guarantee you that the one thing the devil wants to do this year is divide us so he can destroy us. No doubt in my mind, that's the way he works. He works that way in your home. He tries to pit you, wives and husbands, against one another. He, he, wants, he tries to pit parents against kids, kids against parents. Just That's what he wants. He, because if he can do that, then he creates the chaos and the turmoil that he's known for. <laughs> this is how he destroys us, by stepping in and creating chaos, creating conflict. And you ever notice something? Most of the stuff that we end up fighting about is so insignificant and meaningless. Most of it, come on, you know what I'm saying? I have, you, know, you hear the, the stories of divorce over whether the toilet paper should go over the top or under the bottom, you know? I actually talked to a couple one time, and they were so upset, the wife was just so upset at the husband because he would squeeze the toothpaste from the middle of the tube, not the bottom. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> 